Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today again, we start as always with the uh, our inbox at uh, primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox uh, from listener uh, messages and questions. Uh, this is from anonymous uh, listener, uh, Dr. List. Um, I have a joke for you. Dr. List's favorite, love jokes. Uh, here's the, uh, here, it's called the doctor's affair. A doctor was having an affair with his nurse. Shortly afterwards, she told him she was pregnant. Not wanting his wife to know, he gave the nurse a large sum of money and asked her to go to Italy and have the baby there. But how will I know the baby? How will I let you know the baby is born? Nurse asked. He, uh, he replied, send me back a postcard and write spaghetti on the back. I'll take care of the expenses. Not knowing what else to do, the nurse took the money and flew to Italy. Six months went by, and then one day the doctor's wife called him at the office and said, Dear, you're received a, you received a very strange postcard in the mail today from Europe, and I don't understand what it means. The doctor said, just wait until I get home and I'll explain it to you then. Later that evening, the doctor came home, read the postcard, and fell to the floor with a heart attack. Paramedics rushed to the hospital emergency room. The head medic stayed back to comfort the wife. He asked what trauma could have precipitated the cardiac arrest. So the wife picked up the card and read, Spaghetti, 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 spaghetti. Two with sausage and meatballs, two without. All right, let's start the podcast. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Um, today we're back with another episode. Uh, now, today we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I want to go, uh, I wanted to talk about a pretty interesting topic, and this comes from, uh, not surprisingly, a recent uh, article that I just read, um, and we'll get to that in a little bit here. Um, but it's also on a very interesting topic that I'm discussing with my patients more and more frequently, and that's the benefits of intermittent fasting. Now, Unlike most of my previous podcasts, we're going to do a little bit more of a deep dive. Okay, we're going to go deep into the single topic. We're going to dig into it. Uh, may take more than fifteen minutes, depends on how long I talk or how fast I talk um, or how in depth we go. But there's a pretty good chance this is going to go over fifteen minutes. So we'll probably split this podcast into part one and part two. Uh, God, hopefully not part three. Uh, but we're going to split it into smaller chunks again, so we can keep up this uh, kind of fifteen-minute routine that we have instead of an hour-long discussion that you'd fall asleep to the sound of my voice. Uh, sound good, everybody? Okay, let's move on. So I want to get out in front of this conversation and say I do not think that intermittent fasting is the only way to lose weight and to live healthy. I'm not saying that. I'm not advocating for intermittent fasting over other diets, you know, like Mediterranean diet, DASH diet, keto, low-carb diets, vegetarian plant-based diets. I'm not, I'm not advocating for one or the other. Uh, and we'll talk a lot more about this later. I want to be clear before the, quote, my death plan is the best diet, my diet plan is the best diet plan, unquote, zealots come out of the reaches of the internet and uh, try to yell at me that I'm not uh, I'm not saying that intermittent fasting is better than your diet plan of choice. I do, however, feel very strongly that there's been a lot of growing evidence in the last two years specifically about legitimate medical science, uh, mounting evidence, uh, as well as a laundry list of uh, less well, well-studied diets, uh, well, well-studied studies, uh, smaller, poor-quality studies, 
um, to support the implementation of intermittent fasting for patients. Again, I think this is a quite an easy diet for most people to jump onto and to do well with just from what it is. Um, I've used it in my own patients, my own practice with pretty okay-ish anecdotal results, but um, okay-ish anecdotal results are the exact opposite of what this podcast is about. So uh, enough talk about personal experiences and let's dig into the meat of the topic today. So for those not familiar with the topic or only partially familiar, intermittent fasting is the diet plan of restricting caloric intake during long periods of the day in order to convert the body's source of energy from dietary and liver-derived glucose um, to adipose cell, fat cell-derived ketones. Uh, to compare it to other sources of fasting, uh, this does not limit water intake as water, um, shouldn't affect the body's conversion of energy sources, and obviously we're talking about plain water, not mixed with artificial sweetener crap, even if it says zero calories. We're not talking about that. We're talking about pure, clean water. Um, and unlike tr a traditional 24-hour uh, fast, does not prevent somebody from eating normally during the allowed hours. Now, caveat, um, there are three different types of intermittent fasting, and three different types have been studied. Some are, some are the traditional 24-hour caloric fasts. Some are reduced uh, caloric intake during certain days, and some are timed uh, caloric intake. Now, for the sake of arguments, because it's the most popular one right now being talked about and being studied, but not the only one, uh, but the most modern and probably best studied is intermittent fasting um, of 6 slash 18. Okay, so that means 18 hours without food, that includes overnight sleeping, and then you eat for six hours. So would that be you eat at 6 a.m. for breakfast, you can eat throughout the morning, and then you have lunch, and then that's it for the day? Or that's no breakfast, eat at lunch, and then have supper, and then nothing after supper? Um, it can get, there have been studies with uh, ratios of 4 to 20, uh, so four hours of caloric consumption and 20 non non-consuming uh, fasting hours. Um, and then there's eight, 16. So eight hours eating, 16 hours fasting. Those are all variants. Uh, they're all present, but probably not as well studied or as the six slash 18, uh, meaning six hours of caloric consumption and 18 hours of no caloric intake. So today's podcast was really stimulated by, well, number one, the fact I think it's a really interesting topic and I'm talking about it more and more with my patients. But there is a really, really detailed, really complete, really well done, but very long and really boring in parts, uh, review article uh, using uh, reviewing all the most current and up-to-date medical literature um, and animal literature and historical literature on intermittent fasting. And it was published on December 26th in the New England Journal of Medicine entitled, quote, Effects of Intermittent Fasting on Health, Aging, and Disease, unquote. It's by doctors DiCalo and Matson. Um, I first saw this um, uh, this morning on Journal Watch. Uh, had linked me to it, and I read it, um, and I really, really thought it was a very well done and complete article. Um, if you are interested in intermittent fasting in any way, uh, or kind of the details, background into it, or you want to plan to be as knowledgeable as you can be. Um, I think it's a pretty good article to start with. Again, this is not my first experience uh, with it. Uh, I've been kind of following this over the past couple of years, but I think it's a pretty good starting place, this review article. Now, we're going to go over like 99% of it, so hopefully you don't need to read the article, but I think that there's some value in reading it. So before we start, again, my stance on the question of, quote, 
Dr. List, what is the best diet to recommend to patients looking to lose weight or live a healthier life via their diet? Uh, I, I initially say that's a terrible question because there is almost certainly no one-size-fits-all diet plan that works for everybody. And sorry, that was um, that was some noise going on in the uh, primary care pod uh, studio, my, my advanced studio, uh, a.k.a. a hanger that hit off my shelf in my closet where I'm recording this from. Uh, but so there's no one there's no one size fits all. Um, instead, when I have these conversations about weight loss and diet and health with my patients, which I usually have multiple times a day as a primary care provider, I'm sure you do too, I try to highlight the importance of finding something that a person can change for life. You know, people, a lot of people want to crash diets, they want to lose weight fast, they want to drop the pounds. But as soon, if this is not something that you can sustain, as soon as you go back to your normal way of eating and your normal lifestyle and your normal lack of exercise and your normal sedentary life, uh, you're going to fall back in, the weight's going to pile back on. So this is, again, changes for life. And the emphasis being super important there because this isn't a fad or a crash diet to make it, to make this change meaningful. You really, you know, this, if you can't give up all carbs and go full keto, if you love carbs, right? You know, people, uh, full, you know, ketogenic diets are, are good. People lose weight on them. Uh, it, it seems to be very helpful for some people. There's decent evidence to support that. Um, but if you love carbs uh, or you're a big IPA fan, you know, you're not going to be able to do this. You know, if you're craving uh, carbs, if you're cheating on your diet plan, uh, it's going to be really hard to stay true to that diet plan. Now, some people, those cravings go away and some people learn to adapt to a new lifestyle, but again, can be really difficult for some people. Um, similarly, there's a, probably a whole plant-based diet crew, vegetarian crew, um, but that's not going to make any sense at all for all of my, you know, my steak, chicken wings and hamburger guys here in the Midwest that I see at the annual medical clinic. So I try to educate patients that there have been studies showing weight loss and subsequent health benefits, you know, uh, dropping your obesity, uh, no, no matter the how you do it, has significant health benefits to many of these diet plans. And, and there's, you know, the Mediterranean diet scores really well, DASH diet scores really well, but even calorie point counting commercial diets, you know, like Weight Watchers, I'm not going to say they're good, ketogenic diets, plant-based diets, vegetarian diets, all have significant benefits. Uh, intermittent fasting, all have shown, you know, that you can lose weight on them, some better than others, some easier than others. And they all have some level of benefit and they all have some level of cost or sacrifice uh, compared to eating the standard American diet, aka eating the sad. I think we've talked about this in the podcast before. Uh, Americans have a standard American diet and it's full of carbs and sugars and fatty foods and a sedentary lifestyle and uh, eating all kinds of the wrong things, basically changing something out of the sad, you know, the standard American diet, whether that be carbs or that be meat or that be fast food or that be, you know, choosing better foods or just eating less of the sad, something needs to change in order to lose weight from the sad, from the standard American diet. I want to call it the sad diet, but it's not the sad diet. That's like ATM machine. Um, anyways, I, I, I want to highlight that there is some very weak genetic data uh, that shows that some diet plans are likely going to be successful for some patients more than others, just based on their individual genetic profile. But in reality, yeah, so let's say that, you know, uh, ketogenic diets may be easier on your system or, you know, uh, a plant-based diet is going to be better genetically for your system. What's more important, though, is to pick something that, that the patient individually can stick with and be disciplined to. Um, and this is one of the big reasons why I love recommending or discussing intermittent fasting. And again, I, I talk about all the diet plans with everybody, but I think that there's some really good benefits to this diet plan. Okay. Um, so 
this article, this review article, getting back to it, highlights a couple of really key points. And I want to point it out about the scientific evidence supporting this plan. Okay. So first, intermittent fasting and ketogenic diets, right, uh, elicit evolutionary conserved adaptive cellular responses that are integrated between and within organs in a matter that improves glucose regulation, increases stress resistance, and suppresses inflammation. So I'm going to read that again real quick. Intermittent fasting elicits evolutionary conserved, evolutionarily conserved adaptive cellular responses that are integrated between and within organs in a matter that improves glucose re- regulation, increases stress resistance, and suppresses inflammation. Now, those last two parts sound like buzzwords because um, we hear about them all the time, you know, increased stress resistance and suppressing inflammation, right? But these are incredibly important for a laundry list of diseases. Now, reminder, adipose tissue is by nature pro-inflammatory. This is why uh, being fat increases your rates for cancer. This is why being fat um, and, and, and being obese you know, increase your risk for a ton of other pro-inflammatory conditions because adipose tissue increases production of pro-inflammatory mediators. Now, side tangent, um, how does that happen? The excess of macronutrients in the adipose tissue stimulates them to release inflammatory mediators such as TNF-alpha, interleukin-6, produces uh, adiponectin, I can never pronounce that well, uh, predisposes the body to a pro-inflammatory trait and therefore oxidative stress. Um, this is well documented. There's an entire uh, article on this called uh, Archives. Uh, sorry, uh, the topic is um, obesity and inflammation, uh, colon, the linking mechanism and complications. Uh, it's in Archives of Medical Science uh, in 2017. Um, I think it's a really good review article if you want to talk about, if you want to read up more on obesity and inflammation. But that's a, that's a pretty non um, uh, non-controversial stance that obesity is related to inflammation. So basically, uh, we're going to reduce fat, we're going to burn fat because we're going to use it as fuel, right? That's the whole idea with intermittent fasting and ketogenic diets in general. Um, so from the review article directly, during fasting, cells activate pathways that enhance intrinsic defenses against oxidative and metabolic stress and those that remove or repair damaged molecules. During the feeding period, cells engage in tissue-specific processes of growth and plasticity, However, most people consume three meals a day plus snacks, so intermittent fasting does not occur. And I think that's the key, uh, that with the standard American diet, the SAD, you don't get periods of intermittent fasting throughout the day because we eat and we snack, we eat and we snack, we eat and we snack. So the only fasting happens at nighttime, which is very limited for some people, especially if you're not sleeping long enough and you're snacking right before bed and you eat when you wake up first thing in the morning, like many Americans do. So The article goes on briefly to talk about animal studies and the benefits of intermittent fasting in animal models and makes a statement about the need for both fasting and uh, fasting periods and fed states. Um, Now, not only, again, are they pushing for the fasting periods being beneficial, but also for the fed states being beneficial in some ways. Now, a lot of people in the pro-ketogenic diet would argue with that last statement, saying that the benefits really are only for fasting and not for the fed states. But um, you and I, listener, are going to remain neutral here. We're not gonna we're not gonna jump in the intermittent fasting camp. We're not gonna jump in the in the plant based diet camp. We're not gonna jump in the pro ketogenic diet. Why? Why? Because we remember that dietary science is a relatively garbage science, right? And research into dietary science is incredibly complex and difficult. Incredibly complex and difficult. It's one of the most difficult sciences uh, to follow people and monitor everything they eat and trust everything they eat and these diet plans and the quality of the evidence and the, 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 the numbers, the ends in these studies are really low and they're basically done mouse models and animal models, which are mostly garbage, right? So we're going to remember that. 
we're not going to pretend that we, being primary care practitioners, because we're in the neutral camp, we're not going to pretend that we have a perfect 100% answer or we know everything on the subject of diet, as some internet prophets will claim to know, okay? And we're just going to stay, we're just going to stay in the middle, right? We're not going to say that that this is the best. We're not going to we're not going to put on our our zealot hats and 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 be advocates for one or the other. We're going to advocate our patients for a healthier weight and healthier lifestyle, uh, no matter what diet, evidence based diet plan that is. Now, as a wise 13th century French philosopher Obi Wan Kenobi once said, while standing on top of a volcano planet in one of the worst movies ever made, only a Sith deals in absolutes. I'm sorry if I offended you if you like that movie. Okay, getting back to the article though. Um, there are some very impressive visual graphs and very detailed discussion about intercellular processes that happened during fed versus fasting states. And so for you fellow undergrad cell and molecular biology majors, shout out to you, uh, who did undergrad research into topics completely irrelevant to your future healthcare uh, professional career, such as myself, who spent four worthless years researching ubiquitin proteasome system in a cell and molecular biology lab uh, that ended up being completely worthless to my entire career. Uh, shout out to you guys, because you know my pain on this. So you can go read those, um, all those awesome cellular pathways if you want. But for, for the purposes of primary care, this information is completely unnecessary and discussing any further would be a complete waste of your and my time. So we're going to skip that. Now, we are up at the 15-minute mark, so we're going to break today. Uh, I encourage you to come back. We're going to dive into not only the research behind intermittent fasting now that we've introduced it and examined it in a little more detail, we're also going to discuss how you can, in the next episodes, how, how this works, how you can pitch it to your patients. So uh, we're going to sign off today uh, saying, you know, you don't have to stay up all night to stay up to date, especially on intermittent fasting, and uh, see you back in the next episode here.